Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar. My guest today is founding member of Leftover Salmon, Drew Emmett. Hey folks, hope you're doing well. Hope you're having a great week, enjoying your spring, have some fun summer plans, staying safe, all the good things. My name is Andy Sitto. I'm your host. I'm a singer, songwriter, uh, performer, producer, music teacher, all the things that us musicians do to make ends meet. And I'm also the host of this podcast, Middle Class Rockstar. We're on episode 70 something. I don't know what. What else? I'm a Buffs basketball fan. I'm a huge baseball fan. Um, that's it. Nothing else interesting. Okay, but that's me. If you haven't listened before, thanks for joining. And I've got a great interview today with Drew Emmett. Um, he's a founding member of Leftover Salmon. They had their first show in 1989. They've been together over 30 years. Um, and, uh, you know, they've been, in, they've been in the Colorado scene. I'm out of, I live in Denver. Um, and it's a Colorado-based band. So if you're a, if you're a Colorado person, you've been hearing. Uh, well, for me, I've been hearing of Leftover Salmon my whole life because they formed a little bit, just a little bit before I was born. Um, but if if you're not a Colorado person, they, they you know, exploded everywhere a, a long time ago. So no matter where you live, you know all about uh, Leftover Salmon. If you're involved in the jam scene at all, or the bluegrass scene, or the jam grass, or the slam grass, or whatever you want to call it. And they have a new album out called Brand New Good Old Days. And this is sort of a two-part episode because I have Drew Emmett on this week. And then next week I'll have Greg Garrison on the podcast, who was also uh, one of my college professors a few years ago at CU Denver. So it was fun catching up with Greg. But Drew is not only a founding member of Leftover Salmon, he also uh, was one half of a found well, there was more than two founding members, but he also founded the Emmett Nershey Band uh, with Bill Nershey from String Cheese Incident, and uh, he had the Drew Emmett Band. He's done a lot of different projects over the years, and plays a whole lot of different instruments. Um, is one of the lead singers of Salmon, mandolinist, and uh, yeah, it's a great conversation. And we we've actually never chatted before, although we have a mutual friend in Tyler Grant. Um, who was of the band Grant Farm, who's on a hiatus right now. And Tyler was one of the founding members of that Emmett Nershey band. Kevin McHugh of the band Grant Farm, their keyboard player, is my best pal. And I lived with him for seven years until the pandemic started when my fiancé and I moved out and got our own place. And him and his fiancé moved to Cleveland and got their own place. They were really making a statement that they didn't want uh, they didn't want roommates any longer. Um, anyway, the last fifteen months or so that I lived with Kevin Tyler was a roommate of ours as well, and we were in close quarters. We were both uh, we sh Tyler and I shared the basement. So, quick middle class rock star shout out to Tyler Grant, who's featured way back in episode eight of this podcast, and also a middle class rock star shout out to Kevin McHugh, who's featured in episode twenty. But I've never actually talked to Drew, so it was great to finally get to cyber meet him over Zoom, get to talk. We had a conversation. Uh, we talked a lot about this new record, actually, and um, his idea of leading off with Black Hole Sun, um, which really fits the salmon characteristic of... Wait, they did what? <laughs> and, and they're always keeping their audience on their toes and doing new fun things. 
So we chatted about that quite a bit, just the process of the album, then recording it in Asheville before the pandemic, um, release strategy, how things have been with, uh, with COVID, how they were able to kind of have a, a release show at Red Rocks. We chatted about um, how they first got together and how they've stayed together for 30 years through all the, um, the good times and the bad times and the, you know, the big festivals and the bad trips and the arguments, whatever. I'm sure there's been a little of all of that. And they've, uh, they've made it work for a long, long time. So that's all I got. It's going to be a great show. Stay tuned. If you'd like to support this podcast in a monetary way, I'm on Patreon at patreon.com slash Andy Sido, S-Y-D-O-W. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's a way to support um, creatives, and they post up exclusive content for you. For instance, I post up little tidbits from this podcast that I don't post up um, for the host, and I also put up my tracks that I don't uh, commercially release, and I also do production videos uh, where I break down horn lines and things like that for some of my songs. If you'd like to support in a non-monetary way, that's totally fine. Consider supporting by giving Middle Class Rockstar a five-star rating and review. It's totally free and just takes a split second. Quick thanks to our sponsors, PQ Mastering. Patrick at PQ Mastering puts the finishing touches on this podcast. And for any of your audio or restoration needs, go to pqmastering.com. Also, Narrator Music. For simple and affordable licensing for sync, visit narratorrf.com. For sponsorship inquiries, shoot me an email at middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. Drew, how are we doing? Excellent. How are you, Andy? I'm doing very well, and you're joining me from Crested Butte, Colorado. Is that correct? I Yes, I am. That's correct. It's a beautiful day here. It, it has stopped snowing, and it's beautiful bluebird sky today. So wonderful, wonderful day. Great. Yeah, we've got that here, too, after a couple days of rain down in down in the Denver area. Um, so the, you know, the, I feel like I always, st- I've been starting off with this question lately, but it's hard to start, start off with much else. Um, and for the, for the aliens listening to this 200 years from now, it's the year 2021 and we're on the tail end of, we're, we're on what we hope is the tail end of a global pandemic. Who knows? Um, so I know you just put out an album, but but on a personal level, how have you been? How have you navigated the last uh, 12 plus months of all this? Oh, it's been quite a journey um, to sum it up in, in one word. Uh, it's been amazing. It's been wonderful family time and home time and time off the road and time to really woodshed on the instruments and write some songs and um, get this new album out and... Uh, it's been amazing. It's also been uh, very challenging in a lot of ways. And, you know, to not uh, get out and perform, which is what I love to do, to not have that outlet, you know, spiritually and in every other way has been quite challenging. So, uh, you know, getting out and doing these shows this past weekend at Planet Bluegrass and Red Rocks was so fulfilling and felt so great to be in front of people again and, and have the band back together. Um, so that was definitely a really bright spot in all this. Um, but there's probably worse places I could be for a year than Crested Butte, uh, to, to have to ride this out. And, uh, yeah. so in, in a lot of ways, really positive and my whole family has stayed healthy and, and now we're all vaccinated, which is great. Uh, yeah. For all those people out there, that are still thinking about getting vaccinated. It's, 
it will set you free. <laughs> and it's a, it's a wonderful thing to know that, yeah, you could still get COVID, but you're, you're not going to go to the hospital and you're not going to die from it. So, yeah. So that's been a great thing. I'm about three weeks out from my last, my second vaccination. So yeah. finally we have that. So that's a little bright spot as well. Yeah, absolutely. I got my second one. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll jump on that message. Get your shot, people. Um, exactly. And yeah. I'm, I'm glad you're, I'm glad your family's uh, uh, made it, you know, made it through safe and everything. And, and how were these shows? I mean, obviously not at full capacity. How were things uh, similar and different from what you're used to? You know, uh, well, Planet Bluegrass was awesome. There was, it was a full field. People were spaced out a little bit, but it, it felt like a full crowd. And honestly, Red Rocks felt full to me too. It was full all the way up. Um, you know, we've played there for some sold out shows and we know how it feels with a sold out show, but honestly, it felt great. And it, the energy was great. And, uh, you know, it was our first time really officially headlining for two nights yeah. and, uh, it was just epic. And we brought in, uh, our keyboard player who had since departed to play with the, the chicks of formerly known as the Dixie chicks um which yeah. they had to cancel everything because their shows are huge so we brought him in from mexico city and he played those two nights with us and it was wonderful to play with eric again you know because he's on the record yeah um just fabulous just uh just epic shows we we just had a blast just eric, awesome eric deutsch is that right Deutsch, did, yeah did i say did I say that right wonderful um so let's talk about the new album a little bit. It just came out. I mean, as we're talking, it just came out a, yes. a few days ago on the seventh. Um, yep. So there's all kinds of great originals on there, and there's also some good covers. There's the John Hartford. Mm -hmm. There's the Conway Twitty. But then I, I think the first thing that a lot of <laughs> folks are going to notice when they open the fold or press play on Spotify is that your leadoff track is uh, a cover of Black Hole Sun by Soundgarden. What yes. was the uh, <laughs> what made you do that? That was my wacky idea. Um, <laughs> I was on a road trip um, <clears throat> before the pandemic. Uh, I probably was driving to the airport and it came on the radio. And, you know, I'd heard this song a bunch, obviously. It's been around for years. Um, but for some reason, I just really clued into it and how cool it is and how interesting the lyrics are and the progression's really interesting also and i just thought wow this would be a really off the wall very cool bluegrass tune yeah so when we went to record in the fall of 2019 in Asheville, north carolina um i came to this to the recording session with this idea that hey you guys want to record black hole sun and i was like sure that's crazy idea but sure <laughs> yeah. and uh you know we learned it and and uh uh, got the arrangement and, and laid it down and, and rest is history. But um, I don't know. I just think it's a really haunting song. And yeah. especially the chord changes are so interesting. Mm. Uh, and uh, man, when you, when you learn the lyrics to that song, you realize how, how interesting and strange and bizarre they are. But I read a, a, an article with Chris Cornell talking about it and saying that, um, he basically put the words together because they sounded good because they like wordplay, like they worked well together. And yeah. so it's very much innuendo. The meaning of the song is, I mean, you can definitely get meaning out of it, but it's, it's 
it's pretty out there. Um, and I love that. I love that about that tune. And I think to turn a tune like that into a bluegrass tune is just, it's fun, you know? So, so yeah. that's kind of what happened. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and though it, I think it's, um, I, when I looked at the, at the, when I first looked at the album, I said, is it, is it that black hole sun? And then I listened to it and probably like <laughs> everyone else is like, oh, that's really cool that they, uh, that they did that. And when you guys, when you guys do these songs, um, that are from other people that are cover songs, I mean, do you just try to do something totally wacky and different with it? Or are there certain intangibles from the original song that you try to keep in your recording as well? Definitely. Definitely. We do try to keep, you know, some of the original integrity of the song, but also make it a salmon song, um, with the covers that we do. Um, like at Red Rocks, we did a cover of Black Peter for the first time, Grateful Dead song, and as a bluegrass number. But, um, you know, being a quasi bluegrass band or a slamgrass band, however you want to describe us, yeah. you know, it's fun to take songs that wouldn't ordinarily be bluegrass and, and turn them into bluegrass. Um, like we, uh, uh, you know, we did like a cover of Hey Joe, uh, Wind Cries Mary, Whip and Post, you know, just turning you know classic rock tunes into into bluegrass is always fun yeah and obviously that's pretty prevalent in in our genre of the you know the jam world that's that's kind of sure. you know what people do um but i think also in this culture uh it, it's good to do covers because it you know you can't you can't really just do originals you got to pull people in other ways too and so it's just a great way to uh, familiarize people, you know, and, and bring them in. And that's uh, interesting that you say that at, at your guys' level too, at a headlining Red Rocks level. Cause I know if you're starting out bar band, you know, that's in the, that's on page one of the handbook, you know, they don't want to hear all, you, they don't just want to hear your originals. You got to bring them in with the covers, but even at yeah. your guys' level, you still, uh, you still try yeah. to bring people in that way. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think it's important. And I love to hear bands do, do covers, you know, uh, that you wouldn't expect. And, you know, I can think of band like the Beatles, the Beatles did lots of covers, you know, especially when they were first starting out, you know, Chuck Berry and little Richard and all that stuff. And, um, you know, it's just, it's a great way to get your footing, but also when you're an established band, it's, it's just a great way to, to bring other material into your fold and, and make it your own, you know, and with, you know, giving a nod to the original tunes. Absolutely. Absolutely. When I listen to this record, um, you know, I think about you guys as being, you know, a well-known live band. You know, people talk about your live show. Um, and a lot of this record, I f sort of felt like I was at the show, um, maybe even more so than some previous records. And I'm excluding live records from that conversation, obviously. But as far as studio records are concerned, how do you guys go into that? I mean, there's a difference between studio and live, but are you trying to in some ways emulate your live show or is it a totally different mindset? Hey, this is a studio record. Well, that's a great question. And I've, I've been addressing this question a lot in recent interviews. And, you know, my, my main answer to that would be that the live world and the studio world are completely different. And you really, you can't really emulate a live show in the studio yeah. and you can't really be as meticulous playing live as you are in the studio there's going to be mistakes there's there's going to be you know differences there's, there's going to be creative license you, you're going to you're going to take a tune that you record in the studio and you're going to change it when you play live right and uh 
I think that when we are in the studio, though, we're really trying to capture the essence of the band, uh, even though we're under a microscope and even though, you know, we're sequestered in our little cubicles and under headphones. But I feel it long story short, I really feel like this record did it, it captured more of what this band is about as a live band. It captured, captured more of the essence and the roots of Leftover Salmon um, right. without it being a, a, a clinical, sterile record. I feel like there's a lot, there's a lot of energy and, and um, there, there's a lot of, of who we are in, in this record. Yeah. And, you know, this is our 11th uh, record and I feel like we've learned a lot over the years making records. When you first start going in the studio, it's like, oh my God, how the heck yeah. do you even begin to capture what you do live? Right. And it takes a while to kind of compromise and, and bring the two worlds together. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, how prepared were you guys on these tunes when you went into the studio? I mean, were, were these all, um, we've done them live a whole bunch of times, we've got certain arrangements, or did you guys kind of come in vulnerable and in, in put things together while you were in the studio? That Yes, absolutely. Just like we did the last record, Something Higher, it was the same. Um, we had we had the songs mostly put together, but when we got in the studio, everybody got together and, and, and really shaped the tunes and created the arrangements. But this this album especially, um, <clears throat> there was really only really one song that we had played before, which was Brand New Good Old Days. Yeah. Um, and even that one was still being developed. Yeah. Um, but like I said, we learned Black Hole Sun in the studio. Um, and, uh, pretty much all the tunes we, we, uh, we got to the studio and then, and, and, and created the, the songs as we went. Yeah. And that's kind of how we operate generally. We're, we're not the most organized group people, but when we do get, uh, in a room together where, okay, it's time to make a record, then we all hop to it and, and make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and speaking of the, the title track, Brand New Good Old Days, which I think, and call me basic, but so far that's my favorite track on the album. Um, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know, I know if you're a hardcore music nerd, you're not supposed to say that the title track is your favorite, but um, this one is for me. <laughs> so, um, we love it too. And it really captures the time we're in right now. And we, we didn't know. We obviously recorded this album before the pandemic, so we didn't know that it was going to be appropriate. Yeah. Uh, so it's amazing to me. It's amazing how it all came together, and that we were able to release it now, and yeah. uh, without really knowing uh, what the climate was going to be when this record came out. I, I just feel like we're very fortunate. To well, and. And the message on on the on that song, which yeah, it is really neat how it ended up being so relevant. Uh, how did it first? Uh, how did it first come together lyrically and things like that? Was that a collaborative effort with everybody? That's a Vince tune. That's pretty much all Vince. Okay. Yeah. And, and when... uh, you know, it's very folky, and uh, it's also not very long. Uh, so it's it's definitely the antithesis of a jam band tune. Right. <laughs> it's right. you know. Uh, but, uh, it's just a really, it's a rootsy folksy tune, you know, with a nice message and, and, uh, I think Vince really nailed it on that. 
And when Vince brings a song into the band or you bring a song into the band um, or anyone, is there usually the music and lyrics and you guys kind of all just arrange it together from there? Or do, do you guys sometimes bring in the tracks pretty much done and say, hey, here's kind of what I'm looking for from the band? Yeah, sometimes it'll be done. But, uh, you know, we're we're really open to each member of the band, you know, putting in their two cents. And it really is a nice thing to be able to collaborate yeah. on to, even if, even if it's your tune and you're bringing it into the, into the band, it's really nice to have everybody say, well, maybe you should put this chord here or um, maybe we should stretch it out here or, you know, maybe you should put a bridge in here. And, and it's, it's really great because everybody in this band has great ideas. Yeah. Um, and uh, our drummer, who's amazing, Alwyn Robinson, brought an amazing tune into the band. And um, it's great to have a drummer that writes tunes, you know? I mean, we'd never had that in this band before. Yeah. And uh, everybody's just got such great ideas. It's just, it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I noticed that this record, you guys came back uh, to Compass Records. What yes. was the decision um, to, to come back to a record label for this one? Well, I feel like, you know, the last three records we've put out, we've done ourselves, um, which is great. And it's great to own the masters and it's great to to have control of everything. But there comes a point where record labels really can do things that you can't. They have a team in place. They have, the uh, you know, the radio promo people. They have, you know, distribution. They have, you know, all the Internet stuff, uh, you know, the, uh, the production and the artists and all in-house it's really nice to make a record and hand it to a label and say, okay, take it. Yeah. It, you know, it's, now it's your job. Instead of having to do all that stuff yourself, which there's, you know, has its advantages. And, um, you know, I don't regret that we've done that, but it just really feels like uh, Compass is just kicking butt on this. I'm, I'm so happy with every aspect of how they're putting this record out. And, yeah. uh, you know, for instance, you and I talking right now, you know, Compass yep. has been so great about setting up these interviews and, and uh, these uh, Zoom calls and all this stuff. And not that we haven't had that before, but probably not to this degree. And, uh, you know, they let us know about how we're doing on the Americana chart and, and uh, you know, airplay we're getting around the world and all this stuff. And it's just so nice to have a machine that, that really runs well and just to jump in on it. Like, okay, take it. Yeah. And, uh, We've been with Compass before. I have three solo records out on Compass. Uh, Gary West and Allison Brown are, are the two, are the couple that run Compass. Great people. Yeah. And it feels like it feels like we're back in the Compass family, and it and it's wonderful. And when you talk about Compass, you know, doing this great job of getting interviews and keeping you updated <laughs> with the charts and and things like that, doing all these things to you know that a, that a band would want to get to another level do you guys desire that as a band are you trying to get to um another level of commercial success necessarily or or are you guys just riding the wave whatever happens happens we're trying to go as far as we can go you know and uh whatever it takes to to have a more efficiently run machine uh and to get our music out to the world better that's what we want. I mean, the main thing is you really want people to hear your music right. and you really want uh, your fans to, to be able to hear your music. And, and uh, it's not even so much commercial success is just really 
uh, making the most out of out of what you can do as a band instead of it it sure feels better than putting out a record and feeling like it's not being treated the way it should be treated right and it's not getting out there the way it should be getting out there and feeling like oh we made this great record but it's really not getting the uh, the attention or or uh uh you know the airplay that it deserves and it's really nice to feel like oh finally uh, you know, we're really getting the kind of attention that that we really feel like we deserve after we've been doing this for 31 years. So it's great. What's a record that you put out that you feel like didn't get the the, the attention it deserved? I mean, if you if you look back through your catalog and it could be a Salmon album or an Emmett Nershi or, uh, you know, just one of yours. I mean, is there is there a record where you're like, man, that was really damn good and it, and it didn't get its due? I, w- I wish that one had gotten a little more airplay. I could probably say that about all of our records, to be honest with you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, it's hard to say. I mean, I have not been dissatisfied necessarily with our record career, recording career, but uh, you always want more to be done, I think. Um, and I feel like maybe Nashville Sessions, I feel like could have gone a lot bigger than it did, um, even though it has a lot of longevity and people still talk about that record. And it was definitely a moment in time that was amazing for us to have all these people come play. Yeah. Um, I felt like, you know, that, that could have gone bigger. Uh, but I don't know. There's, it's really hard to know what it is that makes a record become big or, or uh, you know, what makes a radio hit. I mean, sometimes you think, well, surely there's some radio hits on this record. Yeah. And maybe it doesn't happen. Um, but you get airplay and you sell records. So yeah. it's, especially in the climate we're in now, I mean, the record business is totally bizarre now, right? you know, with, with all the downloading and Spotify and everything, nobody really knows quite <laughs> how to, how to make it work, you know, and it's, sure. it's not like anybody's fault or, you know, it's not like people don't try. It's just, there's so many variables anymore. Right. And, you know, uh, you, you see these people like Billie Eilish or, you know, people that make a record and be, sells millions and millions of copies. And like, well, what real, what makes a record do that as opposed to a record that, you know, only sells a few thousand copies. Sure. And it's, I, I, it's, it's a mysterious thing, honestly. Do you like the new music business, what it's become and, and what it's becoming? Um, I mean, you, there, there's so much, you know, I don't know. You can do things in so many different ways. Like you said, there's not a formula. Do you like that about it? Or um, would you like to turn back the clock as far as the business is concerned? That's a very good question. Um, I liked how it was more cut and dried before, how you made a record and it was promoted and got on the radio. And uh, and uh, my cat is here now. Um, (laughs) welcome. Um, and now it's like, it's not really about so much, uh, putting out a record. It's more getting your stuff on the internet and, and on Spotify. And, and I mean, it's, it's so much more complicated and pretty much the old ways of making records have pretty much gone out the window, which is really nice. I was really happy that we actually put out an actual record this time again with and you know record and cd and 
um, instead of just putting it out online. And I think a lot of bands are putting things out online only. Yeah. And I still really like making a physical product, you know, right. whether that's going out with the times or what I still like, you know, I've got a copy of this record in my house, you know, on vinyl and I can look at it and there it is, you know, and how great is that? And, you know, this year we put out a box set of all of our uh, albums on vinyl. And yeah. it's just so cool to have that, to be able to have that product. Um, yeah, I think there's some good things about the way the record business is going and how, you know, downloading is so easy and, you know, can reach so many people. But yeah, I, I do miss the, the actual product, you know, and so I'm happy that, that we were able to put out a product this time and who knows how much longer that will even exist. But uh, the cool thing is right now, I, I think, is that the resurgence of vinyl is so big. Yeah. And, and that's a great thing. You know, I mean, I'm not really even that into CDs. I, I think they don't last that long and they skip more than vinyl does. But the sound of analog, the sound of putting a vinyl record, I have a turntable in my house and I, and I have a bunch of records and it's so great to put on a record still. And it yeah. is the antithesis of what the music business is now. Um, yeah. but, uh, I don't know. I, it, it, it's anybody's guess as to where the record industry is going and it still comes down to live shows, still comes sure. down to touring and doing live shows, which is what, what we do really. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that, that seems to be a trend, even though there are lots of bands that aren't playing live shows and just putting stuff out for, for whatever reason. I mean, there's, that is, uh, that's still the thing, and that's still where a lot of the revenue is generated, which I think is is really healthy um, for the business too. Um, yeah. What are you guys doing, pandemic related? What are you doing differently? I mean, I know that as we were just talking about, the business is ever changing anyway. But you got a couple, you got to do kind of a CD release party, which was awesome. But now going forward with the uncertainty of the world, um, how will this? be promoted maybe a little bit differently than your last record? I don't think the promotion of the record will be any different. Um, and we are starting to get back almost to a, a somewhat state, somewhat normal state, quasi normal. And I think as we progress through the summer, I think things are going to get better and better. But the problem is now, uh, you know, we can't just say, okay, the pandemic's over because it's not. And a lot of people feel like it is. And then a lot of people feel like it's not nowhere close to over. So there's still a lot of uncertainty surrounding the pandemic. Right. Um, I think the more people get vaccinated, the better off we're going to be. I think that is the key. And unfortunately, yeah. a lot of people are afraid to get the vaccine or for whatever reason are not going to do it for, you know, I don't know, religious, political, uh, ideological reasons. Um and uh, I think that's unfortunate because we're on a good path right now with the, with the vaccines. And yeah. for us, everybody in our band is vaccinated. Right. And now we can all hang out in a room together without masks and feel uh, pretty good about it. And right. we're being really careful. Um, we're really trying to keep the backstage separate and keep our bus separate and all these things. Um so I think we still really need to be careful and maybe that's a good thing, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and 
I think it's just going to keep getting better and better. So as, as far as that's concerned, we're really just going full speed ahead, uh, but cautiously. So Right, right. Absolutely. So to go back a little bit, and I, I know you've probably told this story a million times, but back in 1989, um, there was a show at the Eldo in Crested Butte, your hometown, um, and two bands, uh, the Left Hand String Band and Salmon Heads, sort of joined forces, um, and that became Leftover Salmon. So you guys have been doing this for what's been, been about 32 years now, is that right? 31 officially this past okay. few years, yep. Okay, and when you guys first started playing, um, was there a fan base right away? I mean, from from the left-hand string band and the Salmon Heads, was there already something going on to where when you guys joined, there Absolutely. was a thing happening right away, or there was a buzz? For sure, yep, for sure, because left-hand had already been playing for about five or six years, and Vince's band, the Salmon Heads, have been around for a couple of years, and they've been building a following. And, uh, you know, Left Hand had played Telluride Bluegrass. And we played the Rocky Grass Festival. And um, <clears throat> so, yeah, we had fans already. And I think that people were excited with combining the two bands. They were excited to see what, what would happen. And, uh, yeah, so we pretty much jumped out there already with people wanting to come see us, which was really helpful. And was there a lot of tour dates right away? I mean, were you guys early 90s? going out and playing all over the country or was it mostly local for a little bit? We stayed in Colorado for about three years okay. and just the areas. And we played the Fox theater about once a month. And when the Boulder theater opened back up, we started playing there and uh, we played some shows in Denver. Denver was pretty tough back then because there weren't really great venues in Denver yet. Uh, yeah. It was way before the Fillmore and before the Bluebird reopened, I believe. And, the Ogden and, and, uh, so, you know, we played mostly locally, um, and we didn't really venture out of the state, uh, until I think 93, 94, we went, I think our first big road trip was out to the Oregon country fair. Okay. Outside of Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. Uh, We drove our school bus out there and, and then we started, we really started touring, in the Northwest, probably, uh, originally. And you had a school bus? Like a, like a big yellow bus? Yeah. Bridget. Where did, Bridget, is that what you said? Yeah. Uh, where did you park it? Various places. Um, the band was, uh, part of the band was living in a ranch outside of Gold Hill. Yeah. The bro- Broken Arrow Ranch, or the Broken Down Ranch, as we like to call it. Um, and we parked it there and, uh, um, yeah, we would just jump on the school bus and head out and, uh, we just kind of, uh, we just forged our way through. I mean, we didn't really have much of a plan or, uh, you know, much of a safety net. And, uh, we just got out there and two or 300 days a year on a school bus. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Was, how was it? I mean, in those first days when you're on the road 300 days a year, you you obviously can't have a day job at home. Um, I mean, how was that? Was that rough financially at first? I mean, getting everybody to a spot oh, where they could live comfortably? It was a big leap of faith. We all, we'd had jobs, you know. Uh, we all were, 
we quit our jobs and we're, we're just doing this and uh, never looked back. And uh, it's a big leap of faith and, and a lot of trust and, and a lot of persevering through. And, you know, there were no cell phones back then. You know, if you can imagine a world without cell phones. Um, I didn't even have a, a, a long distance calling card. I would have to, we each got 20 bucks a day per diem. And I would take half of it and put it into coins and find the nearest payphone on the road and call home. Wow. And yeah, it was, it was that basic. And uh, we weren't making much money, but we were having a really good time. And it was really exciting because we were one of the only bands out there doing it that way. Right. Uh, the jam band scene was brand new. Fish, uh, Fish was playing the same circuit we were playing, Widespread Panic. Um, uh, who else? Chakra, uh, Little Women, um, some local bands like The Samples, like Acoustic Junction. Um, but there was no huge jam band scene. There weren't all these bands out there on the road. It was, it was a brand new thing. And at that time, people weren't touring unless they had a record deal. Right. You know, you didn't just jump out there and go do shows around the country without a record deal. And yeah. so we were kind of one of the first bands, I think, really to break that mold and, and to put the cart before the horse, you know, and, and get out there and, and just pound the pavement, you know, and do shows. And, and it worked. It ended up, ended up, you know, obviously giving us a career. But yeah, at first it was, it was crazy. We were, we were nuts. We didn't know how it was, oh, go ahead. We, we had no idea how we were going to, you know, make money and, 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 and survive, but we just kept at it. And it was so exciting that, uh, you know, it, it fed us and it kept us going and, and it grew and grew and, and we're still able, because of that fan base that we created, we're still able to do it today, you know? Well, in, in what you guys kind of were, were doing back then, one of the only bands that was doing it, it's not like that now. I mean, there's tons of, uh, jam yeah. bands and jam grass slam grass there's tons of bands out there doing it and almost none of them have a record label um you know it's totally right. uh you know it's almost as if the uh, cart and the horse have been just to totally uh reversed how does yeah. that feel from a legacy standpoint that you were kind of one of the pioneering groups and you've influenced so many young musicians it feels great. You know, like I said, we didn't really have a plan. We didn't know how it was going to work. Um, and it's amazing to see that something that we just uh, kind of invented as we were going along has become like uh, a pathway for other bands. And uh, I think we we broke a lot of trail for other bands, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I think a lot of bands saw how we did it. And, oh, you just buy a crappy old bus and jump on it and get out there and do shows. And, uh, yeah. And a lot of bands are doing that now. Um, and it, it works. And I think also, you know, at the time, as far as bluegrass was concerned, bluegrass wasn't something that was commercially viable at all. Not really, unless you were like one of the upper echelon bluegrass bands. Um, but bluegrass wasn't something that was booked in bars or in theaters, hardly at all. Yeah. Right. And, we just kind of by accident sort of figured out a way to make it possible to play bluegrass out on the road, you know, by adding drums, by throwing in some electric instruments and, and uh, creating kind of this new sound. And 
we certainly weren't the first ones to do that. But I think in this scene, we might have been because like bands like the, the Dirt Band did it, but they were more in the country scene. Right. Uh, Newgrass Revival did it, but they never did it with drums or electric instruments. They stayed in the bluegrass realm. And same thing with Hot Rise. They kept it bluegrass. Um, uh, you know, there were bands that kind of uh, uh, sort of played around with that concept, but didn't really maybe go full on in like like we did with the, the full electric acoustic thing. And and what was amazing for us is that we could not only play the festival circuit, but then we could also tour the rest of the year and do, you know, the regular circuit that rock bands were doing. Yeah. And and really it was I I think we were probably one of the first bands that that were able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think that that would have happened do you think it would have happened the same way had you not adapted to find a way to play in in those clubs i mean was adding the drum was adding drums and things like that kind of a necessity for you guys to to get off the ground absolutely and originally we just we kind of put together the more rock oriented band just so we could play ski areas in the winter i mean it's like yeah because we were mostly Left Hand String Band was a blue, bluegrass band, and Salmon Heads were like an acoustic Cajun band. Right. Uh, neither of which were nece- necessarily that viable for bars. But the thing with Left Hand is that we just played in the summer mainly at festivals and this place called the Gold Hill Inn in, in Gold yeah. Hill, Colorado. Yeah. But, you know, we just wanted to be able to quit our jobs and go play ski areas in the wintertime when, when all the other bluegrass bands basically went to work. Yeah, you know, and uh, I didn't know any bluegrass musicians that didn't have jobs, except for Hot Rise and Newgrass Revival, and right. of course, seldom seen. And you know, like I said, the upper echelon of the bluegrass world—they were doing it. They were, you know, making a living. But I mean, even the seldom seen, they all had jobs. You know, doctors and dentists and stuff. And wow. the the big thing in the bluegrass world was don't quit your day job. Because there's yeah. no way you can make a living doing this. There's no way. And then people told us we were crazy. Um, and maybe we were. But uh, somehow we we struck upon something that actually worked commercially. Right. And also enabled us to play the kind of music we wanted to play and not have to completely change what we were doing. Right. Just turn up the volume and and let it fly kind of thing, you know. Right. Absolutely. You've been and you've been in this group the whole time. You're one of the founding members. Um, there's been band member changes. There's I'm sure there's been arguments and bad trips and the like. How have you made it work uh, for three decades and more now? It's a good question. I think that uh, we have a really good time and we really enjoy playing together. And even with the changes of personnel in this band, we all have a similar vision and we all come from a similar cloth. You know, uh, we're a similar demographic of people, I think. And we, we resonate with each other. And also I think the other thing about it is that our fan base has really enabled us to keep doing this because so many people really love this band and really have, have just been with us the whole time. And also the new people that, that come along, it's really the fans. And we're very, very lucky to have the fan base that we have. And uh, we have a, 
a great crowd of people that comes to see us all over the country. Yeah. Yeah, you certainly do. Um, well, thanks so much for your time, Drew. I sure appreciate it. If you don't mind, stay on the line with me for a quick second. But in front of our audience, thank you so, so much um, for chatting with me today. Absolutely. All right. Very cool conversation. And that's just part one. Uh, there's part two with Greg Garrison. He'll be on next week. So, uh, you know, subscribe or whatever you do to remember to listen to podcast interviews. And I'll be chatting with Greg next week. Um, and he produced this brand new album for Salmon. So we kind of get that, uh, that take, you know, another, another side of things. And we really did talk about different things with the album. So I think they're both really, um, really different and really great conversations in their own way. Um, if you enjoyed the podcast, I know everyone says this on their podcast, but please rate and review. It just takes a second and is a huge help. And if you'd like to support in a monetary way, check out patreon.com slash Andy Sido, S-Y-D-O-W. I post up lots of exclusive content on there. Any questions, comments, concerns, hate mail, or death threats, shoot me an email at middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I'll chat with you next week. Thank mm-hmm. you.